Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. One thing you're going to learn in this third conversation for the series that I've had with Brittany Ernst is there's a longevity in her commitment to developing herself as an organization scientist as well as a practitioner of organization development and change. The first time I wasn't doing a podcast because she was my student and that was almost almost 10 years ago. That's the first time I saw her spark up with interest in this kind of work. Organization behavior was the basis of the course I was teaching. Then Peter and I spoke with her when she was just finishing her dissertation for her PhD. Then <laughs> I spoke to her again when she was just starting her job at Travelers. Now the rock skips another time into the present and she's been there about a year. So you're going to get a feeling of the transformation that one does for herself by virtue of her keen interest in all things organizational regarding the success of individual performers. This is Brittany Ernst. Wow, I I tell you, as long as I do this podcast series, I'm probably going to have to, with some of my uh, folks, go with 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. And Brittany Ernst was 1.0 when Peter Vale and I first started having three-way conversations about practice and listening for what's going on in real practice life. Uh, and then again later, uh, and that's when Brittany was at North Carolina University of North Carolina working on her her doctorate in organization uh, studies. So just toward the end of that particular conversation, we couldn't quite reveal where Brittany was going to be getting her job, but we did allude to the fact that she was coming back here to Connecticut. By the way, she had been my student at one time. That sort of explains the whole thing, doesn't it? But then 2.0, I reached out to her just after I thought she'd settle in at Travelers as in the uh, uh, in the HR leadership development program and uh, to see how she was doing. And Brittany, you remember, you said, well, people are lovely here on screen, but I haven't met anyone in person. <laughs> so just before I started 3.0, I said, Brittany, uh, tell us about your work situation now. So why don't we start with that, Brittany? Uh, you actually got to look at an office. I did. I got to go into the office twice now. I've been working for travelers for over a year, and the office has been fully closed down for that entire time. We initially had a return to office date set in mid-September, but that's yeah. also been pushed back another month or two at least. So it's been optional for employees to go back in. So I was really excited. I got you know a bunch of new desk supplies, a new lunchbox, and I went into the office <laughs> to uh, check box. it out. <laughs> and I met a couple of colleagues in person. Some people were a lot taller than I expected, a lot shorter than I expected, but I got to meet some of the leaders, some of my team members, and um, it was it was really nice to feel 
like I was working at, you know, a real company and there's a reunion tie, a real physical place to it, which I think was really important. So hopefully I hope to be back in soon, but we are fully remote for the time being. Yeah. I read in uh, today's Hartford current uh, travelers had to make that decision because like most everywhere in the country, the, the variant now has uh, tossed uh, uh, some, some plans in the cocked hat, as we used to say in Maine, tossed them in a cocked hat. Uh, Hopefully that'll re- be remedied as even more people are vaccinated. Let me ask you this for a year, over a year, you have been in quotes working. I'm doing that with quote marks with my fingers here, folks. Um, and tell us a little bit about what that at work is first. And then I'll ask you a couple more questions about it because you're sitting like you are right now with a headset looking into a computer screen. Yes. And it was definitely not the way that I intended my first full-time job to look. But um, so my first nine months of working for Travelers, I was sitting in the compensation department within human resources. So I was doing a lot of um, salary and bonus analysis, job analysis, and, you know, pricing comparisons across different demographics in different geographic areas, creating new jobs and placing people into jobs and making sure that they were paid competitively and appropriately. So most of the clients that we were working with were spread throughout the country. So it is work that can be done fully remotely, Mm -hmm. but it was the first time that they had done their annual compensation review and planning virtually. So there was a little bit of hesitation around that from, from some people, but everything turned out really great so well that was a lot of analysis and uh and granted you were very good at it you had to be analytical in order to uh crunch the uh the data for your doctoral dissertation which also folks by wonderful i guess coincidence uh she and her team studied the difference between leading in in person face to face uh charismatic kind of leading and trying to do that on camera and uh, I think the face-to-face kind of won that fight, didn't it, Brittany? Uh, it did, yes. And go ahead. It, yeah, it turned out that uh, leading virtually, trying to use charismatic tactics was not all that successful. And I can't remember if I had mentioned this at the time of our last podcast, but the the article was accepted for publication in Leadership Quarterly. So that is available digitally now. And then I also um, will be giving a TED Talk on the same topic later this year at UNC Charlotte. So that's nice. Another little surprise piece of news. (laughs) That's wonderful news. And uh, and, and interesting because uh, conceptually you understood from that one data point that leading and anything, any other kind of interaction communicated with the intention to influence change uh, is something almost everyone has had to do to keep their businesses, the ones that are essentially more like travelers, you know, to keep those businesses um, pumping. Uh, And do you feel now that it's been over a year personally, as well as what you observe with your coworkers, that people have adapted fairly well to um, this modality? I think it's been split. I, I With any kind of change, people are hesitant. At first, it takes them a while to adapt. I think 
travelers and a lot of other companies that historically were more traditional and had a really strong in-office presence Definitely. maybe had a harder time adapting. Um, and that also is kind of a nice transition to what I've been doing for the last uh, five or six months working in the employee relations department oh. within human resources. So we have been handling and working with a lot of employees regarding their concerns about returning back to the office, their concerns while working from home. Um, you know, what are the company's policies around um, vaccination and safety protocols? And how do we make these decisions on an individual and also a company-wide basis? Um, a lot of, uh, you know, medical accommodation requests related to working from home as it relates to COVID, which is something that the team has never dealt with before. No. So there's There's been a lot of interesting new challenges that it's been fun to see from an employee relations perspective. You know, we're trying to figure it out as we go and also advise managers and advise employees on, on how to effectively work from home given the circumstances while also being empathetic and, and hearing their anxieties and their stresses about what that's going to look like. So I think it's mixed. There's, there's some people who adapt quickly and there's a lot of people who are feeling a little bit uneasy, I think. It's a microcosm of a whole lot of hundreds of thousands, many millions of people at this point in time, which is uh, early August of 2021. It's interesting that just before uh, Brittany and I uh, connected today, I was working on uh, adapting Peter Vale's original manuscript on practice uh, for uh, a digital book, which you'll be hearing more about in due time. But in the meantime, it just happened that the conjecture that I was working on was his explanation of permanent white water, uh, something he became well known for based on a book he published way back in 1989 called uh, Management, Managing as Performing Art. Anyway, anyway, uh, as I was working down through his, uh, his insights on uh, turbulence uh, and permanent and maybe even rapidly enhanced turbulence is what he was saying is what you do yesterday will be tested today. And you might, in so many words, fail that test. It's not your incompetence. It's that you didn't know. And if you reached around to others, they didn't know either. And here you are in a department that had a tremendous legacy of understanding the travelers employee and also the marketplace in which you were you know, recruiting uh, folks. I mean, it, very smart. I, I used to know some of them. Uh, suddenly you're making, you're not making it up as you go along, but you're figuring it out as you go along. And essentially that's the gist of Peter's congestor. You have to figure it out if you want to keep your practice uh, going uh, and being relevant uh, to the future. So what's an example of something that you think of at the top of your head that you really had to do a quick learn uh, with your colleagues uh, to be able to answer some of these, uh, these questions? Yeah, I think I have not been, you know, on the front lines of determining the policies, but have kind of been hearing conversations and, you know, seeing how those have all played out. But initially, making the decision, the leadership's decision to require that people are coming back to the office, I think was a really 
thoughtful decision. And so much went into that, whereas some companies have kind of, you know, made the statement that we're going to close down all of our in-person offices. We're not bringing anybody back or it will be an optional, flexible work from home policy from now on going forward. Some companies have taken the opposite extreme saying Mm -hmm. that they want everybody back full time. And I think Travelers has kind of found a nice, happy medium of what does that policy look like in a hybrid world while still maximizing the collaboration between people, but giving people some flexibility. And then, so of course there's that high level decision, but then with our, uh, the actual implementation of that, there's a lot of logistics to consider, you know, figuring out if people are coming into the office three days a week, how do we maximize the space and ensure that, you know, people are in the office throughout the entire week and it's not a ghost town on Fridays or Mondays or (laughs) whatever it might be. So I think there's there's been a lot of coordination unexpectedly from a decision that was made at a very strategic, well thought out level at the top that had a lot of implications for, you know, some of the, the practical elements of it that we've been working through as simple as, you know, figuring out who's going to be on the office on which days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Again, uh, those people who are in either required or want to be in the office in those days are going to be wrenching themselves back from being mainly at home. And if they have kids, now if I'm going to go back three days a week, uh, I'm not doing homeschool anymore. Are the schools going to be open? We think they are, but this is August and who knows? So there's a lot of that uh, readjusting. Now I've got to get back in a car and drive in from, you know, where you live out, out, town, out of town on a very busy highway. You, it'll be confronted. You'll be confronting it too. Uh, park. There, there is parking, but it's expensive. I'm just going down the downside of coming back. The upside has a lot to it. What would be the upside then? What would be the case that could be made for a, a person who, you know, doesn't absolutely have to work at Travelers, you know, is putting, is always putting up against, is this where I can be at my best? Or is there someplace else that's thought it through another way? So I'm kind of saying two things to ask the question, what, uh, what would be the incentive for you and others to come back for those several days a week? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that it really comes down to is the relationships. And from my, it's hard because I've been working remotely the entire time. So I've heard, I've kind of gotten a sense of the culture, what the culture was when people were in person, but there's just something to passing by people in the hallways and going and walking over to somebody's desk and having those in-person authentic conversations. And one of the really interesting things that I've also been able to be a part of that's kind of you know, supported this and the whole transition is um, there was a, a resource group established during COVID and, and throughout all of this that's specifically for working parents and caregivers who have a really unique set of challenges and are looking for ways to connect with people and are facing a lot of the things that you just described, you know, our school is going to be open, how am I going to handle childcare and all of these different things that people have had to adapt tremendously do in the last year and a half or so. And we have found that one of the most beneficial resources and programs that we can offer the working parents and caregivers, what we've gotten the most positive feedback on was simply um, 
putting people together in breakout rooms for networking events and coffee chats where they can just connect, talk about non-work related things, Mm -hmm. have those authentic conversations that are just, you know, happenstance. You're paired in a room with this person that you wouldn't normally be talking to. You're not trying to accomplish an objective for that meeting. It's just a time to connect with the human side again. And I think it really speaks a lot to what people have been missing out on, not being in person in the office. We can give them a little bit of that virtually, but I can imagine that, you know, when people are back in person, they will remember and realize how important that really was. No, I think you're you're definitely. I should just say, declare this a TED talk because I think there are tens of thousands of hiring managers and and others who just figure out. I know the relationship, the culture will, you know, re- rebound in a way if we can get people back face to face and and moving about as we did for over a hundred years in this location. <laughs> and uh, so they kind of know that, but they also know that there's, they cannot let productivity sag. You've got a, you know, I don't know how many trillions of bits of information just speeding through this company from the purchasing of the insurance policy to the claim. And uh, it all needs a lot of attention and a lot of creativity and, agility all of those things which cannot be done as well by my standard uh totally like you and i are doing now uh so there there is a payoff to come back in uh what is what you're saying for the person as well as for the company if if they can adjust themselves to the you know i've got to be back community again okay you gotta that's that's okay but look at look at what you have waiting for you uh when you looked at your your soon to be um, more than a few moments of office. Uh, what did it feel like to you? To, that's going to be my desk. This is where I'm going to put my lunchbox. Until... <laughs> On one hand, it, well, they also just renovated the office and our floor is all brand new. So that was exciting. Ooh, what, what building are you yeah. in? <laughs> uh, the main North building. Wow. Very um, nice. So they, all the employees have sit stand desks and no, it's a more of an open floor plan and yeah. all renovated conference rooms and everything. So the space alone was really, really high quality and just a wonderful environment to be in. That nice. feels good, doesn't it? it I mean, definitely don't you feel does. like a grown up when you walk into a space that uh, has been spruced up? And I suspect that they've also ergonomically looked at the mm-hmm. ways to keep you, you know, still in a distance that safe for, you know most yeah. of the time when you're sitting there yep yep that, that's cool yeah and talking to one of the other one of my other colleagues who was there, there was maybe a handful of us on an entire floor that would probably at full capacity be 150 people there were maybe six of us in that day and we had lunch together and we were talking about how different it is and how valuable valuable it is to have that separation of your commute from being at home and now I'm transitioning and now I'm at work and now I'm transitioning and now I'm back home and I'm not working. And I think people have lost that a yeah. lot because there's you're there's working. an upside to compute commuting. There really is. Yeah. yeah. Upside. yeah. I think so in terms of, you know, just general mental health and the rise of burnout and work-life balance. And, you know, it's great to be able to work from home and, you know, do your laundry in the middle of the day if you have to, but that also means that whenever you're home, you also have, 
the option to work. And I think it that has become so normal for people. Whereas, you know, previously people would come home, put their laptop down and not open it up again until they were back in the office next day. So that was an interesting sensation to thinking, you know, getting in the mindset of now I'm at work and this is where I work and now I'm at home and I'm enjoying my home life. No, oh, I think that's a great insight. Yeah. I, um, I had the benefit folks of, uh, uh probably a dozen years, uh, as a faculty sponsor for a very important, um, uh, relationship with travelers where we supported, uh, some, uh, students who, uh, had high promise, but came from very challenging backgrounds. So it was called the edge program. So I had quite a few reasons to visit over there and, um, see, being a, uh, in the ivory tower, I just loved stepping out onto a floor off the elevator where there was a lot of bustling, a lot of very apparently purposeful people who seemed to know why they were striding down the hall with uh, paper under their arm or, uh, you know, looking like they're intent to get to a meeting. And I love the energy and, and the feel of it because the stereotype that I had, as most people do about it, uh, uh, an insurance company that's that old, well over a hundred years, is that it's most people are in there with their quill pens, you know, writing out policies on parchment. It, it wasn't like that when I started going over there in, in the late eighties uh, as a, I shadowed a, a, a corporate ed guy. Uh, that was a piece of my faculty development all the way up to my last days there. So what you haven't seen yet is that place when it's got maybe at least half the workforce because one of the places that I always love seeing and had to see in order to be escorted was called the link. Have you been mm -hmm. onto the link? I've walked through there and there's people kind of scattered throughout, but from what I've heard, it's nothing like what it used to look like when they were at every table, time. every table. And, um, did it still have all the red travelers umbrellas coming mm -hmm. across the top? They didn't mm -hmm. take those out. That's good. But it was a real feeling because uh, it could be, this is sort of where the status is somewhat were left back at the desk. And so you could see at a table, uh, a friend of mine who was a senior vice president sitting with a couple of folks and I'd be walking down. Oh, hey, Dave, how are you doing? Come over. I want you to meet so-and-so who works in our, you know, actuarial department and, and uh, I loved it. You know, I love that feeling and I want that for you. <laughs> Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think I have been trying to make an extra effort to set up networking meetings and virtual coffee chats, but I don't think it really can ever replace those interactions that you're talking about where you just happen to walk by at the right time and meet the right person and have a face-to-face -face conversation and shake their hand and sit down and actually drink coffee. So I'm really looking forward to it. I hope by the time I'm done with this rotational program, eventually I will have one of my rotations in person and, and have that experience. So fingers crossed that that happens soon. Do you know, you know what might be your next yet? I don't know for sure yet. Um, it could be a number of different things. I know that I'll be working in employer relations through November, I believe, mm -hmm. and then transitioning to the next one. So with all of the uh, buzz around return to office, a lot of the the uh, leaders have had other priorities. Yeah, so I don't think, what we are we going to do with Brittany? I'm sure they're <laughs> up there down at the New York headquarters right now, having, <laughs> hashing it out, you know, but I, I think you're a tremendous talent and you know you are too. And 
certainly with an advanced degree in the field, uh, I, I'm pretty sure that they'd be thinking seriously about how to give you another vantage point on the business. Uh, have When we talk with Peter uh, back in the day, you were looking at the choice of, of uh, you know, working on uh, into a faculty position fairly early on and continuing as a researcher. And you really felt that you might do that, but in the meantime, you wanted to get some real world experience. Well, you've gotten a lot of real world experience, way, way beyond what you could have imagined. Is uh, mm -hmm. part of you still thinking long-term about uh, maybe doing some teaching, going back into academe? I think it's definitely a possibility. I think to your point, I have been exposed to so much and learned so much and learned about opportunities that I didn't even know existed before within the corporate world, just within travelers alone, even. So I think what I thought I knew about where I wanted to go, you know, it's always great to have a plan, but then you ex are exposed to all of these different opportunities and there's other paths maybe that I will kind of go down and, and pursue, but I, I think it's certainly possible. I definitely want to make the most out of this experience. And I think there's so much, especially within travelers, the, the, consultant role that HR plays within this company, I think is is really valuable and special and getting to use those skills, the data and, and analysis skills, yes, but just the general problem solving and consulting with other HR partners and with managers within the business. And I've had back-to-back -back calls today with employees, you know, frontline employees talking to them directly and hearing about their experiences. So I think you just can't replace that and it could be so value, valuable for one day down the road teaching a class and I can speak to these conversations and projects that I've worked on that were so high impact and high touch with the day-to-day -day life of employees and managers. Well, when I retired in 2016, you know, I wrote into my, uh, my uh, mandate uh, that they would have to hold a position open for you, Brittany, if you you know, not even knowing that you were going to get work for a doctorate at that time, I think it was a gleam in your eye. Uh, and, you know, I expect they are, but I, 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 I'm working between both worlds now and the conversations that I'm part of re related to the org development change and behavior worlds. And uh, uh, a lot of the folks who are in academe, uh, in fact, the one I had just two days ago, uh, which was part of the Academy Management meeting was, what, why have we have allowed such a gap between those who do research in organization and those who are actually in practice, whether they're managers or consultants or whatever? And there were people speaking very candidly that while they had had a fairly comfortable life in their academics and all the way through tenure, it was quite discomforting as they looked at what was happening to their home institutions. It wasn't quite as certain uh, that they could, you know, have that nice so-called steadiness in order to do long-term research. On the other hand, um, there were people who from in that conversation who were full-time practitioners were saying, hey, you know, you want to know what, uh, what it's like to have to chase your next three engagements in order to pay for the one you're in now, you know, to know you got more coming. It's a constant hustle. So there's an awful lot of uh, of that going on. But what is in common, I think, for all of us and you and me is, 
is the question of organization. I, I call it a question because we humans are very social and require this entity that we've built up over the centuries now called the organization, however you name it, a tribe, you name it. And to be organized, again, another question, or not to be, has uh, now been put really to the test by the pandemic. Uh, so you're in a company that for well over 100 years was intact and reliably at a place you could walk through a door. Now it is doing everything possible to be an organization that still does what it's promised to do to society and economics. And yet it's going through enormous change right down to the last call you just had before this one, where a frontliner or indi uh, individuals is seeking your, your, your wisdom. So that's a long-winded statement with no question, but uh, what do you think about, as we're running out of time here, what do you think about the state of the organization as something we can rely on to feed us and clothe us and employ us and bury us? <laughs> yeah, it's a very deep question. Organizational behavior, I guess, you know, when you think about it, what does that actually mean? People's behavior within organizations. Okay, what is an organization? It used to be pretty easily defined, you know, a group of people and working in the same place. And but now mm -hmm. they're not working in the same place. Everybody's oh. working in different places. And they're not even working at the same time. So what is actually organizing these people and, and tying them together? And I think it's, it's evolving, it's changing. I think there's flexibility, people, you know, maybe we don't have to be all sitting around the campfire all at the same time for that to be an organization because we have all these tools and technologies and different ways to organize. But I don't think that the in-person, and maybe I'm biased based on the research that I've done and the experiences that I've had, but I don't think in the true essence of an organization can exist without with an absolute absence of any human face-to-face -face interaction, whether it's occasionally, whether it's once a year, even when I interned for Duran, which was a fully remote company at the time with no mm -hmm. central office, we mm -hmm. met up in person rarely, occasionally for um, work-related meetings and non-work-related meetings. And I think that's what really made the company and the organization special and kind of connected everyone and, and held everyone together is those infrequent meetings to keep those connections strong. So. I am biased. I think it's an essential component, if not every single day, but occasionally um, you just can't replace that human element. And an organization is not an organization without the humans. I, I'm with you. and I love it. And it's a great answer. I would say pretty much the same with practice that as Peter and I, and now I have been trying to figure out ways to say what practice is like what organization is, it's basically uh, the same thing in the way that it's practice if, uh, if I'm in it, if I'm fully in my humanness in it, you know, whether it's golf or painting or helping people in, as employee relations, how much am I in it? So, and the same would be true of organization. If it's just an abstraction called travelers, my question is, if I were employed, how much am I in it? How much is travelers in me? And how much am I in it? 
<laughs> because it's a matter of in mutual investment. So as I'm convinced that you and your talented team will be figuring out ways uh, to help people feel that they're, that they're in travelers, even if they're not at travelers at the time, and that you will learn as they're processing how uh, travelers can work with them in, in the way they're practicing whatever you need them to be doing as to continue to bring out the um, results that matter both to travelers and the individuals. It's about bringing out results. So um, a lot of a lot of really wonderful mysteries ahead for you to, to solve, Brittany. Yes, absolutely. And I really like that way of looking at it that you just talked about, you know, being in it, even if you're not there and in it, if not at it, <laughs> at it. in it, if not at it, I you like can it. use that. I'll give it, away. I'll give it to you. <laughs> Credited to you, of course, yeah. but I like well, it. I like it a lot. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, there's going to be a 4.0, even if I don't do another podcast for a, another six months or a year, which I will be doing, but I'll come back because I think by then we can both look at this conversation and say, wow, uh, this is better. This is not better. This worked. This didn't work. Here I am uh, changed. And, and uh, I will say to the listeners, just as we're about to hang up, Brittany just went through a very big transition, transformation last weekend, which was that I was weekend. recently engaged. Yes, you had to think. <laughs> it's only been two or three days since it happened. Oh my uh, lord, that was, that, that was a big moment. You know, you're, you're, that's a big step. You're you're engaged. Congratulations. Yes. And, to uh, um, and, and my fiance works for another insurance company in Hartford too. So match made in heaven. There you go. If you were farmers, you're both farmers, you'd be in Ohio. But this is our crop. Yes. <laughs> Protecting people's <laughs> assets and. And ultimately, their their uh, their health and their lives. It's very good work, and I think it's wonderful. And I think it's going to be exciting to have you young people bringing Connecticut and Hartford, you know, out into uh, play again. And there's a lot to see and do here, as I've told you many times, and you knew uh, as a student here at Central. But um, this is great, folks. Change, ain't it wonderful? <laughs> Thank you so much. It's so great catching up, as always. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcasts, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.